Welcome along to the Candy Pants Lifestyle Podcast. I'm Nick, and before we start, spoiler alert. This is by far one of our most surprising podcasts we've ever done. A lot of you will know the name Dane Bowers, but I bet a lot of you didn't know some of this. Dane's first ever single was with Jay-Z. Yes, the Jay-Z. Dane once went on holiday to Magaluf with Victoria Beckham. And believe it or not, Dane once DJed with David Beckham in Ibiza. I really have just scratched the surface there, but this is the absolutely mind-blowing journey of Mr. Dane Bowers. Dean, welcome along to the podcast. How are you getting on? Yeah, do you know what? I mean, lockdown for me isn't so bad because I've got family around me in England. Um, obviously frustrating a bit because obviously I wanted to be back home in Dubai, which I do class as home now. Um, but I can't complain. There's a lot of people, you know, a lot worse off than me. So at the minute I'm okay. Last time I spoke to you, you said to me, you have the worst kind of fame. What do you mean by that? Um, do you know, it's because it's sporadic and it hits different areas, I would say. So, for instance, in Dubai, um, Dubai is quite a young place uh, mm. in general. And depending on where we go, like, you know, I'm a DJ, so my group of friends are DJs and yourself and promoters and whatever else. So if I would go, for instance, to a pool party or a ladies' day or whatever else, a lot of them are quite young. So that, for me, is quite cool. I don't mind that because then no one really knows who I am. Um, it's the older ones, my sort of age... Um, probably between 30 and 50 I would say um and when they've had a drink and they're a bit leery they're a bit harder to handle <laughs> and when I say fame I mean I wouldn't say I'm massively famous anymore but when people do know who you are there's obviously a level of mentality you have to take you know you can't you've got to kind of be a bit mm, giving I guess and kind of you know you've got to take a bit of a bit of crap from people but um I remember you saying to me you said you know it's that thing where I've got the kind of fame where if they want to talk to me and have a picture, I have to do it. Yeah. And if I say no, they're like, well, you're not that famous. You can't say no to me. Exactly. And there's two points to that. So it's like, who do you think you are? I'm like, hang on a minute, you're the one that asked for the picture. Um, but yeah, you're right. That's what it is. It's, like, it's kind of the irony of, I want to take a picture of you, but who do you think you are sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and then I also never know if someone wants, someone will come up to me and say, oh, mate, absolutely love you. You're a big fan. Can we take a picture? And I'm a bit of a negative person to the point where I sometimes don't believe that that's true and they're just doing it for a joke or something, which doesn't bother me because I don't know what joke the joke is. But the people think they're being funny. And, um, and I'm just like, yeah, cool, whatever. No problem. <laughs> is what it is. What do you think is the big thing that you wish people knew about you? that they don't oh god um just the fact that to be honest i'm i think i'm very down to earth i mean i have my moments of being a dick like anyone does i guess um but in general i think i'm quite easy going i'll talk to anyone if you don't know who i am you won't know by talking to me it's not something i'd bring up i don't talk about anything like that um but i mean i've done a lot of stuff you know like you know our first ever single was with jay-z um when i was 17 Dane, it's um, blown me away. Like, obviously, I've known you for quite a long time, and yeah. I knew 
things that have gone on and various stories. But when I've looked into this to speak to you today, I was like, yeah. bloody hell. Yeah, and, and maybe that's maybe that's what you're saying. A lot of people don't know things like that. Like I said, you know, I was in another level when I was 17. So we released a couple of underground tracks. Like I said, the first one was with Jay-Z because um, he was on the same label as us. What was released that, like? that song? It was great, but I mean, you know, at that point he wasn't huge. He was huge underground. It was um, at the time of Blueprint album, Can't Not the Hustle, old tunes that some people pr- probably won't even know. Um, but you know, he was he was always a, a massive businessman. He knew what he was doing. He was on our label. He knew that we were up and coming. Uh, you know, the head of our label said, "Look, these guys are going to be, you know, they're going to be big. Jump on this." Um, and we lucky he did. He did a verse for us and. You know, when you look at it now, it's a great thing to be able to say. You know, Jay-Z was on our first ever single. So take me back to the beginning, because you went to Brit school, didn't you? I did, yeah. I only went there, to be honest, because it was almost, it sounds terrible, but it was almost my last option. After getting expelled from two schools, um, there wasn't really anyone else who would take me. So it was like, I mean, I say fame, but a lot of, a lot of people these days won't even know what the TV show Fame was. You know, it was an old school show in America where... It's a stage school. You'd go in there and you walk around, there's people singing, there's people dancing and there's people doing all sorts. And that kind of was what it was like. Um, but it was a great school for that, you know, because it let people feed into their imagination and their creativity. Um, and it was fun. You know, most of the day we were doing something that was creative, whereas most schools, you know, you're, you're doing your maths, your English and whatever else. We did have to do that, but it was secondary to, to the other stuff. So from there, how did another level, the band, how did that come about? How did you end up in there? So Wayne was the other guy in the group um, from, from the Brit School. He actually saw me singing in some foyer performance thing and was like, do you know what? Really like what your voice, like what you're doing. I'm in this band already. We're talking to a label. Um, would you be up for coming and meeting them? Um, and I sang for the label and they were like, look, we love you guys we want to give you a record deal. And that was literally it. I mean, I was kind of lucky, fell into it. It wasn't something that I dreamed of being and worked for. But it became a bit of a monster, didn't it? Again, it's, I mean, being, not to put you there, it's probably a little bit before my time, but you had like seven yeah. top tens. How old are you, Nick? 28. Oh God, it's way before you. So you look so much <laughs> older. You've had hard life in Dubai, mate. No, I've had a tough paper. Um, yeah, you have. Yeah, do you know what? It, it was massive at the time. Um, like I said, the first single was was Be Alone No More with Jay-Z. That went in at number six, which was massive for us at that point. Like I said, there was no R&B in the chart. So it was like, wow, how did we do that? That's when the fans start coming. You know, you've got the young girls. And to be honest, we had a lot of mums who loved us. Um, and that's where it kind of turns into it being a crossover act and more commercial. So then by the time we had Freak Me Ready to Go, we released it straight in at number one. We sold 100,000 records in the first week to get to number one, which is unheard of now. Um, and that was it. We were exploded. You know, we were now a big mainstream act that everyone knew. What was that like at that time? What does what does it mean to be a pop star in that era? Because it's not um, like it was now, is it? it no, back then it was in that very, era, very different. It was amazing because you could say for that week we were top of the pops, which we don't have now. And to be top of the pops, I mean, to be on top of the pops was amazing anyway. But to be top of the pops, to be number one on that week was huge. Um, so yeah, it was massive. It was different. You know, we had different TVs that we did every week. We'd go on to SMTV in CD UK with Ant and Deck and Cat Dealey. Um, there'd be Pop World. There'd be all these different TV shows that we could go on to, which now you can't do. There aren't, there's nothing like that now. Um, 
I mean, I remember we did a three and a half month period where we had one day off. Um, so it was very difficult. Um, now you can do stuff from home, there's social media, there's whatever else. We were up and down the country. We were on planes. You know, we were doing 10 to 12 flights a week sometimes to get to different places. So it was very hard. Um, there was a lot of stress and a lot of... Um, depressed moments that people don't realize but obviously there was a lot of amazing moments so I couldn't really complain because I was very lucky to be in this situation but there were some very difficult moments what do you think was the worst point you had for me it was it was mostly about newspaper stories um there was a lot I've had thousands of actual stories in papers and that's not an exaggeration thousands so there may be one or two in a paper you know in two papers in the same day you know, pretty much three or four days a week, there'd be a story in there about something. They were hard to deal with because obviously your family and your friends read that and some of them are good, some of them are bad. Yeah, they, they weren't great. But some of the positives obviously went on during that time. What do you think was the highest point or your highlight of that era where you were in the band and all the rest of it? Yeah, um, I'd say there's two. In the band was, we were asked to support Janet Jackson on her European tour, which was, which was 32 dates around Europe in arenas up to like 40,000 people. And we were asked by Janet and her team to do that. We were the only support act on that whole tour. That was phenomenal. What was she Um, like? We didn't really see too much of her. You know, she's a Jackson. Saw her a couple of times. The funniest time, I guess, so it's it's, whenever anyone asks me for a funny story, it's the only one I can ever remember. But we were in, I think we were in South of France, um, Toulouse or something like that. We were in this massive hangar for the arena where, where the catering was set up. So we were all in there eating. Janet never eats and comes down and eats with us, but she came down and she ate this time with her dancers who sat around on a table. And a few of us were sit, um, like in this hangar playing football, kicking a ball around. And I've got this pint of pineapple juice, which I was drinking at some point for some reason. Um, and we're messing around and the ball comes to me. I go to kick it, miss literally slipped up on my ass, built the drink all over my face, all over my body. <laughs> Janet spits her food out everywhere laughing. <laughs> and I literally, and that's what she forever remembered me as, pineapple juice kid. And it was not, <laughs> that was not fun. But that was really You've one of the only times. called worse. Yeah, to be fair, I have. Um, perhaps by you. Um, <laughs> never by me. No, no, never. Um, but yeah, no, but, but it's literally, so the one real time we saw her, and that was, that was her lasting memory of me. The other highlight would have been by myself obviously working with um, Victoria Beckham. Um, the, the, the tune that we did together was once again massive. We sold 230,000 records in one week and only got to number two. So how on earth do you decide you're going to go solo and your first single be with Victoria Beckham? Like, how does that it was happen? Actually, it was the second one. Um, right. The first one was called Buggin. And then I wanted to do a repeat single, um, like a next kind of version from Buggin. Buggin was about girls bugging guys. I wanted it the other way around. So I said to my label, look, I want to do a duet. I want to get a female on it. And they said, okay, who, who would you like to go for? I said a Spice Girl. Obviously, they laughed at me and said, come on, that's not going to happen. I said, well, look, let's go for it. Why not? Uh, We contacted Victoria's office, played her the song. It was good timing that she wanted to do a solo single. She was the first, you know, the only one that hadn't done one. Um, And she liked the single. So we got in the studio, finished it up a bit, put her on the track, loved the the end product, and and everyone else did too. So it, you know, ended up being a single. 
So tell me more about that, because you spent quite a lot of time with her, or a fair amount anyway, didn't you? Yeah, we did. I mean, you know, it's like I say, it's different now, but in those days, actually promoting a single was a very hard job. You know, we were up and down the country. We were, you know, I remember we were getting trains everywhere. Funny enough, we got a train up to Newcastle. Um, it was us and all of our dancers, and I remember we got absolutely hammered on the way up. So me and Victoria were in first class because they paid for first class tickets. Of course, dancers, nowhere else yeah, for the Bowers. I know, but all of our dancers <laughs> and stuff, and the crew were all back in in you know normal. So we thought, right, bollocks, let's go over there. We went back with everyone else, sat there for the whole journey with a ghetto blaster on, playing music. We had bottles of vodka and champagne out. We were absolutely hammered by the time we got to Newcastle. Um, and yeah, so, you know, th- that would happen a lot. We would be getting planes and trains and bloody boats and whatever everywhere. And we'd be having a good time doing it, you know. It was like three or four months time period to promote the single um, and afterwards as well. And it was just fun, you know. And I think for her, it was the first time in a long time that she would had fun. Spice Girls were huge, but there were restrictions when you're that big. You know, you, you can't enjoy it as much as people think. So I think she just loved the fact that we were doing it and we were doing it to different crowds than she would with Spice Girls. So what was she like? Yeah, Victoria's good fun, you know. We we had a lot of good fun. Um, a lot of it was a lot of it was uh, involving alcohol. Um, we went to Magaluf together. We did a show in BCM. <laughs> you went Honestly, to Magaluf with Victoria yeah. Beckham. This is amazing. So right, so we did a show in BCM, which is obviously a massive club. Um, and then after that, I would usually do a DJ set. So I would be DJing. And she went into the middle of the dance floor, still in her, she had like a furry bra on, which was like her costume, with a microphone. And she started trying to MC while I was DJing in the middle <laughs> of the dance floor. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we did that. We've been to Ibiza together. Um, we did loads of different things. Yeah, and it was, it was a good time. And obviously I got on really well with David. David was, was with us quite a bit of the time as well. Um, David actually came and DJed with me at one point or twice. It's nice, funny enough. Dan, yeah, right, so you brushed we, over this. David Beckham DJed with you. <laughs> yeah, I've got a picture of it somewhere. Um, yeah, no, because David was very into hip-hop and R&B. I think he was maybe kind of the person that sort of said to Victoria, this is the kind of track you need to do. It's really cool. You should do it. Um, but he was very into his hip-hop, and we went to Twice As Nice. I was DJing. He came in the booth and kind of messed around uh, DJing with me for a little bit. So, yeah, no, it was good, man. He took me to a game, a Man United game, because I'm a Man United fan the thing is obviously we were around you know famous people all the time like that was you know we were all in the same circles and whatever else but they were a bit different the Spice Girls the Spice Girls were ridiculously top-notch and then obviously David Beckham being the most famous sportsman in the world and then them being the famous couple in the world was just pandemonium um even when we went out to do record signings for instance we would do a record signing in HMV and our price were, were open at the time um, and David would come and do signings with us. And it was like thousands of people trying to get in. It, you know, it was crazy. When was the last time you spoke to them? Not for a long time, to be honest. After the single, we did a few more songs and a few more writing sessions. Went out to dinner and stuff a few times. But then, you know, life life changes. And I think I moved up north with a with a partner. Um, you just fall out of touch, really. So, yeah, I haven't spoken in a long time. Why do you think out of the band and out of all the people that were going on then, you became this name and this person that people knew and people know now? I think there's two parts to it. Um, the, the main part, obviously, was because then when I went solo and did the records that I did with Victoria and whatever else, 
that obviously catapulted me to, to do bigger things. But I also, what people maybe don't realize, I presented a lot of TV shows um, at that point. Um, you know, I was on Popstars The Rivals Extra. Um, why did and that the was ITV huge, TV wasn't show? it? That was that was the X Factor of its day. Yeah, well, that was the group for that one was Girls Aloud. Actually, that was we we. So I basically went and e- interviewed all of the girls in their houses way before the show had, had kind of aired. We did all of the backstage stuff, so Cheryl, um, Nadine, all of them basically. So that was the show that I presented on ITV Two. Um, I also did Smash Hits TV with Tess Daly. And then, to be honest, whenever the lads were away, um, Ant and Deck, um, there's a couple of times where I actually presented CD UK with Cat Dealey as well. So I, that was, you know, I was doing lots of different things. Um, so that's why I kind of stayed out in people's minds, I guess. And obviously Big Brother in 2009 was big, so I did that. And yeah, it kind of, I've always kind of stuck around, I guess. I know it's something you don't talk about a lot, but how much do you think dating Katie Price or Jordan at the time... Yeah. Was a factor. Well, funny enough, that's what I was going to say was, was the other thing. Um, you know, my, my relationships were, were quite high profile. Um, I've heard her say really... that she was like, you were like the love of her life. Yeah, she likes to say that a lot. <laughs> it's understandable, um, Dean. It's understandable. Yeah, well, you know, it's only human. <laughs> um, but you know, at that point, she wasn't really that well known. I mean, she was a, she was a well known model, but, um, but, you know, we were the famous ones. Um, and then she would come out with me. And then we became a, a, a famous couple, I guess, if you think about it at that point. Um, and then when we split, she got even bigger and bigger and bigger and has made God knows how much now. Um, but at that point, obviously, there was a lot of press um, and a lot of stories. But then when we split up, even more so, because there was the problem where she was kind of following me about and it was not an amicable split to the point where obviously she tried to commit suicide and all these sort of crazy things that made it really tabloid uh, tabloid worthy yeah i heard um, that i didn't i wasn't sure if i was going to ask you or if i should ask you but yeah, no, I heard, she's now said this hasn't she that she tried to commit suicide yeah, it was in, in the papers to get you I mean, back. yeah it was in the papers at the time you know it was in my house um so it was yeah, in your house I mean, yeah yeah so i mean her friend had kind of she'd moved in with me at the time um and her friend had kind of rang me saying, Katie's taken it. And then Kate actually rang me sort of incoherently on the phone, told me she'd taken some tablets and then hung up. So obviously I've had to call the police. Police have kicked the door down, taken her to hospital and stuff. And I've gone to the hospital to see her, even though, you know, we're split up at that point. And it was, yeah, she just kind of wanted it to, to get back together. But, you know, we were young. We were like, what, 18, 19, was it? I think. Is it right um, that you two kind of then broke up she had an issue with the Victoria Beckham thing or is that pressed up? Kind of. Um, funny enough, I did an interview with The Sun the other day, which I think might come out tomorrow, talking about this. Um, it's not as big high profile as this, Dean. It's not, mate. And you're getting it, <laughs> this is going to be first. Um, um, yeah, it, it was. You know, she didn't like the fact that I was working closely with Victoria. There was nothing really to worry about on that front. But the fact is, we were kind of having a hard time anyway. Um, and I think it just all hit at once really what was it like being so hounded by the press then because the press was a different beast then than it is now almost wasn't it it was you know worse. yeah it's a different world now like i said social media has made it different so back back in those days pop stars or film stars or movie stars they were stars you didn't really know about them you wanted to know more they were like untouchable they you know more like you know michael jackson you know that was like wow that's a star now 
let's say Beyonce, you can just look at her Instagram and see what she's doing. But back then it was different. You didn't know. You had to go and see them. You had to go to shows. You had to, you know, read up and buy books, you know, books and magazines. And I just think it was a very different, different world. Um, and even with the media, like you said, like newspapers, there were massive newspaper stories. Now there are some, but most things are just literally found out that minute. You can, you know, you can see on Twitter what happened 10 minutes ago. So tell me what that was like in that era of things like the news of the world when those stories really were huge because people weren't finding out other than, you know, they weren't finding mm. out on Twitter or Instagram before, were they? Yeah, it was, it was very different, you know. Um, we would, so how it would work usually is we'd have, we had someone that looked after our press. Um, uh, different people at different times. I remember one person, Jane, and she would ring me and she would say, Dane, newspapers rang me, they're running a story tomorrow. This is the story what happened, what's going on? And I'd be like, my God, one, how do they know? How do they find out? Or what the hell is that? What are they on about? Because a lot of it was rubbish. Um, a lot of it was true, but a lot of it was rubbish. And at that point, then, you'd decide whether you would answer it or not. Most of the time, I wouldn't. So then they would run their story. And then from then, obviously, the backlash of that begins. And then more magazines and whatever want to cut, you know, ring and ask about that situation. Um, and newspapers were, you know, they were dodgy people back then, you know, um, they were paying police to find out certain things if they, if it was anything kind of legal or law driven, um, they were kind of getting into people's phones. They were doing all sorts of things. Um, and it, like I said, I had thousands of stories that I had to go through a couple of years ago with a solicitor and I was amazed at how many stories there were, even if they're just like little paragraph pieces here and there. Um, but back then, you know, that, that was what people had to kind of rely on to know about what's going on. So where did the things go from there? Things maybe started to change and you weren't in the charts anymore. What happened then? Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's an up and down life with fame anyway. Because one minute you're famous, then you're not. Um, it's quite depressing, it can be. For me, like, I kind of probably started easing up, stopping being in various newspapers or or in the charts or anything like that around maybe 2001, 2002, I guess, was kind of the end of stuff. A few different TV shows here and there, which I did, which kept me in, but then nothing. And then you're at the point, well, what am I doing now? You know, what do I do? Like, I can't really, I was still famous enough that I couldn't get a, a normal job because people would recognize me still pretty much everywhere I went. So at that point, you know, you get a normal job. It's like, oh, I don't know if you'd be able to do it. So I was DJing. I was lucky that I've always DJed. I've DJed since I was 16. So that I always brought, you know, money in doing. Um, and it kind of kept me alive. But I struggled. There were times when I had no money. I had money in a house, but no actual cash. Um, and I struggled some, you know, some points to, to do anything. It was difficult. Uh, I was very lucky when um, Big Brother came about. Because um, Big Brother was, it was the last, it was supposed to be the last ever Big Brother on Channel 4. Um, and it was a big one, and they paid me a lot of money to do it, and the fame went back up again. I mean, I think from then I booked loads of DJ gigs. I think I booked 80 gigs over the the next five, six months after that. I made like hundreds of thousands of pounds, um, and it got me back back out there, and it was great. Did you need then, that? Did you need, not, I don't mean financially, but I mean for your own sanity, did you need that? Probably both. I needed it financially as well. Financially, I was definitely struggling by that point um i didn't need it as far as ego because i wasn't 
it wasn't about being famous for me. It was about having something that I was good at and something to do and, you know, be good at it. There definitely would have been a time where it hurt and I was like, oh my God, and the ego definitely would have been hit. But that's not my memory of it. So, like, my memory of it wasn't um, losing the fame and being upset by that. A lot of people, that's what, you know, that's what they upset about, not me. Um, so that wasn't my memory of it. And then I kind of always had a relationship that kind of kept me still happy with life, if that makes sense. Um, it was very difficult, don't get me wrong. Like I said, financially, probably was more than anything for me because the other part I wasn't that bothered about. I missed the creative side, I missed the touring, and missed all the good things. I didn't really miss the fame. So just last question, we try to ask this to everyone, and we've had some like really interesting answers. If you could ring yourself in the past, so you could ring yourself, you've just left the band and you're about to mm. do the single thing. In that era, what advice would you give to yourself based on you know what you know now? Hmm. I think the first thing for me would have to be, Dane, a mobile phone is not your friend. It is the most incriminating thing on the planet. Because <laughs> I tell you, the amount of mobile phones and camera pictures that have got me in trouble, I wish that they were never invented. For me, for my advice, and the worst thing was, I actually used to, I used to be really bad, so I used to lose things. So I had, when I think we were, for the two years I was in another level, I went through 13 mobile phones because <laughs> I lost them or broke them. I went, through, I'm on my 10th passport. 10th? Um, 10th passport. They only give me a one-year passport because they think, I don't think I'm selling them. <laughs> they think you're on some kind of scam. <laughs> they must be. But, but mobile phones were the bad ones. So as much as I love mobile phones, I wish I'd never had one because honestly, the amount of times I've been caught out on it, the amount of times I've been pictured on it, mobile phones, and like, you know, there's a thing at the minute, newspapers hacked loads of people's phones, which most definitely I was involved with. So yeah, for me, my advice would be mobile phones are the devil. Do you know what mobile phones are good for though, Dean? Go on. Listening to podcasts. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> the Lifestyle Candy Pants podcast in yeah, particular. Yeah, exactly. And what's it, what's it called exactly, Nick? The Candy Pants Lifestyle podcast, available on the all Candy the Pants podcast Lifestyle apps podcast. and some others too. I've heard that that is what you should use your phone for. <laughs> Nothing else. Dane, thank you so, so much. No worries. And fingers crossed I will be seeing you at a Candy Pants brunch very soon. If you're anything like me, you're still going to be trying to get your head around some of those stories. But yeah, that was the pretty insane story of Mr. Dane Bowers. As always, I'll be back next week with another guest. But if you fancy some music before then, don't forget to check out Candy Pants Radio, which has a brand new show every single Thursday. All you need to do is search Candy Pants wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. And until then, as always, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you all very soon.